Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is John Diddy, and I am the next-gen pastor here, which brings me great delight because it means that I also get to help facilitate and participate in child dedication. And this morning, we want to acknowledge that we are having a dedication at our next service at 1030, but we as a church unite around parents and children. And so during this hour, I want to invite you into that. And so this morning, uh, in the next hour, we are going to uh, dedicate Joshua Robert George Nordstrom. There you go. Yes, and his brother, Christopher Sven Olek Nordstrom, and parents, Rob and Jennifer. And so this morning, church, I still want to ask you a question. As a community, would you promise to seek and encourage and support these families, love them, serve them, pray for them, and model what it means to follow Christ for them, with them? If so, would you say, we do? We do. Yes, we as a community get to follow along with families. We get to watch their kids grow. My daughter was reminding us last night that she only has four years left until graduation. And that's the middle one. So maybe she's more ready to move out, I don't know. Um, well, thank you for traveling the journey of life with families. Thank you for being a part of that. I'd like us to pray, and then we'll jump in to what God has for us in James this morning. God, we thank you that you are present with us. We thank you that you are present with families. Whatever shape that takes for our families. And so God, as we are with this family on their journey towards you and these little boys, God, we ask that you would speak loudly through their parents and the way that they live. God, may our lives shine brightly to them also. God, as we look at James today, help us to understand what exactly it means to live a life that honors you. And God, how good that can be. So give us that capacity in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so glad that this morning we get to have dedication as part of our service, and it makes me actually think of families, right? So families are unique. Each family is unique. They each have a story. And my family has, I think, a, a slightly unique story in that um, a long time ago, in 1911, my great-grandfather, Charlie, he decided that he needed to live in a place that was more of a wilderness. He was from the small town of Malacca, but a farming community was not wilderness enough. And so, with $75, he decided to make his way north. 
So he got on a ship, I presume in Duluth, a steamship that took him to Grand Marais, Minnesota. And upon getting off the boat in Grand Marais, he was greeted by somebody's pet moose wearing a big red bow. And he determined that this was wild enough if a moose was greeting passengers off the, off the ship. Well, he found a place to stay that night, and the next morning he rose early, which apparently is what he did. And he went around sleepy Grand Marais and found the one other person that rose as early as he did and determined that an early riser would be worth listening to. So he asked this man where he could find even more of a wild place. Now, this man happened to own the moose, so he thought, I've found the guy, right? Well, this guy told him about uh, the Gumflin Trail and that he should head up the Gumflin Trail about 30 miles, and there he would find a grouping of lakes, and that if he found Hungry Jack Lake, he, this man had a canoe that Charlie could borrow, and he could canoe his way and portage his way into a lake called Clearwater Lake. And so Charlie did that. And so in 1911, he made his way there. He actually that day set out and he walked his 30 miles. Walked his 30 miles, found a canoe, canoed in and found Clearwater Lake where he would set up camp. And in that space on that lake, looking out towards the length of the lake to see these giant palisades, he put his tent and later he would build his cabin and later a lodge and his family would grow there, and he would host many people. And my family changed. Well, the traje trajectory of it changed that day because he decided that he wanted to settle there. And so that's where my grandma grew up, and that's where I just actually spent the last couple days. Now you may think that coming from such a pedigree of a logger, trapper, fisherman, and guide that I would be quite the outdoorsman, and you are wrong. <laughs> I am not. I did fall off the dock one time at a family reunion, so that was good. I also hung my head over the dock to drink directly from the lake on the top and had quite a stomach ache for a few days, so all good things, all good things. So I may not be a trapper or a logger or a great outdoorsman, but I do like the wilderness of northern Minnesota and the joy of quietly traversing a lake in a canoe. And I try to pass that joy on to others, my kids and at times the students I work with. I've had the pleasure of actually taking students to the Boundary Waters for up to a week. And while there's significant challenges, right? Paddling miles, hiking portages with full packs, heavy canoes, setting up camp, making meals in the wilderness, mosquitoes. Don't even get me started on the mosquitoes. And having students say to you things like, this lake looks like the same lake we were just on. <laughs> right? But there's also so much beauty to take in, from the eagles high above to the loons calling across the water, the deer and the foxes, the beavers, and the very occasional at this time moose along the shore. Even the fact that you have to hang your food to keep it out of the reach of a bear. 
It just shows us this window into God's creation. The lakes and the portages are endless. And one time, I was with students on the second longest portage on the Grand Marais side, the, the Gumflin Trail side of the Boundary Waters, second only to uh, Grand Portage. And right in the middle, there was this clearing, and, and we were high up so you could see out, you could see the lake way out in the distance, and uh, we happened upon a patch of wild blueberries. And there's something quite nice about being hot and sweaty and being able to pause and have some wild blueberries and sit and talk about the creation that you are in the midst of. So with these moments in mind, I suggested to our team that we should take students canoeing down the St. Croix River. Now, if you've never done that, it's usually a pretty easy trip from Interstate State Park down to Osceola, or you could go further if you want to go a little further. We're going to paddle down the river and take an easy bus ride home. And last summer was great. It was a great time. And this summer was different. <laughs> now, it was a beautiful day when we arrived, but besides the beauty of the day, the, the, the blue skies, the warmth, we were also greeted by 40-mile-an-hour winds coming from the south, which doesn't exactly help you float down a river. So our day started slow. Hard paddling with lots of laughter. Everyone was happy. They were ready to take on the challenge. But slowly it became clear that we had many students who were new or rev relatively new at paddling a canoe. And so we made slow work through a wide area and then hoped it would get better as you could see a bend and the river narrow. It did not. And so we pressed on for a couple of hours, but at a certain point, it looked like the river had turned into like an Olympic canoeing training pool, you know, where there's a lot of work, but absolutely no forward motion. And so we made the difficult, or I made the difficult decision that we needed to turn around. Turning around meant that we would have to work hard to go back up the river. But it also meant that we were going to have the wind at our back. Now remember, this is usually an easy paddle with the current, not up the river against the current. It continued to be difficult, but those who were more experienced paddlers began to make headway. My canoe would actually kind of crest the white caps and, and gain a little momentum as it went down into the wave. At a point, I turned around and realized, actually, that I was way ahead of the group, so much for leading. So I was very thankful for the other volunteers and staff that were back with the students. Knowing how to paddle in the wind helped. Knowing how to paddle and steer against the current with the wind at your back helped. But many students spent the afternoon going back and forth across the river, trying not to tip in the waves trying to make just a little bit of headway, even getting out of their canoes at times to walk on the sandbars and pull the canoe both downriver and upriver. I have never been so thankful, honestly, to see the last final group of students arrive at the landing. This day and all of my days in canoes have been at the forefront of my thinking 
as I've looked at James chapter 3. But before we dive into the passage, a quick recap. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about James, and it's been wonderful to be together in the book. And Pastor Matthew has described it as incredibly practical, right? And we see more of that practical advice this week. James 1 helps us understand that we will always have trials and temptations. James presents throughout this letter absolute truths about life, but he doesn't hesitate at the very beginning to jump right off the cliff. Hey, everybody, just so you know, trials, and with trials, temptations. Just know that. So then we get into chapter two, and we see that God expects us to have a faith that works actively. Last week, at the end, Pastor Matthew encouraged us to change our internal dialogue so that our actions shaped by humble faith in Jesus, would honor him, others, and ourselves, and to work on the inward life so it reflects God, right? We're always at work in our faith, saved by God, saved through grace, but always working that out. So that is a great support, an undergirding for what we're going to talk about today in James 3. Which makes sense, right? James is a letter, so he's penned a letter to churches that are dispersed, and so the chapters should flow together. But think as we go through this about your internal life. How is that represented to the outside with your words? James 3 tells us about the tongue. Tongue and tact, right? How do we use our words do they honor God? Do they honor others? So before we read the passage together, I do want to note one quick thing. James chapter 3 ends with some verses on wisdom. We're not going to talk about those verses today, but I highly encourage you as we're going through James to be reading James. It's, it's easy to get through. And so this week, I would encourage you to meditate on those verses on wisdom. He has some great things to say. All right, let's read the passage together. James chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we will make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can send your whole, set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes 
It praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So James uses a whole bunch of great metaphors in this passage. But he starts off with a warning to teachers. As a teacher on stage this morning, as a pastor, I just feel like I should probably go home at that point. All right, not many should become teachers. Great, thanks James, thank you very much. And they'll be judged more strictly. Well, what kind of judgment are we even talking about? I mean, we all make mistakes, right? Especially teachers. In fact, if you were following along in your pew Bible, or maybe you have an ESV Bible that you brought here because that's what we usually use and you were trying to follow along, you will notice that John sent the wrong version to communications this week. Right? So we just read from the New Living Translation. Not a big mistake. In fact, a great translation, but not maybe the one that we normally read from. I say that just because we all make mistakes sometimes. And as teachers, both me here on the stage and you walking with people in your life through the scriptures, I think James is saying that we need to approach it with humility. We need to approach our roles with a deep desire to be connected with God and a humble spirit. Because it is an important role to walk alongside and shepherd other people. And that's not just for pastors. I think it's for lay leaders who are teaching on Wednesdays or Tuesday mornings or Wednesday nights. We need to approach it with reverence humility, and prayer. And I love that verse 2 says that we're just always going to make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you could control your tongue, that would be evidence that you could control your whole self. And James is saying, it's basically going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible to control it. If we could control it, we control, could control any part of ourselves. The only way we control, can, can control our tongue then is by living a transformed life, transformed by the Holy Spirit and dependent on God. So in no way is this beginning discouraging but in fact, it's just simply realistic, right? James is once again being very practical. He's trying to set an understanding that grace will be required as we work and as we work our faith out. And then he shifts into the metaphors. So we read about a horse and a bridle, a small rudder moving an entire ship, a spark that can set ablaze a forest, the tongue can't be tamed like an animal can be. And fresh water and bitter water can't come from the same spot. 
A tree or a vine can't produce the thing that it wasn't meant to produce. It's good that it gets compared to Proverbs because there's probably no other place in the Bible that there's so many metaphors, right? James is like packed in the metaphors. He wants us to get an understanding. A horse is controlled by a small bit. Now this summer I had the opportunity to be in Yellowstone and my daughter and I took a ride on a horse and I was very glad for that small bit that can control the horse, right? Otherwise, who knows where I would have been? Well, probably right behind the other horse. They're really good at just staying in line. But, um, but I was able to keep it from eating, which is the only direction they gave us. Make sure the horse doesn't eat or it won't go anywhere. So, but I have more experience, as I've already alluded to, with a canoe. So, hold on. Here we, we have a paddle back here. Now, this isn't a a rudder, right? It's not a rudder on a big battleship or something. It's just a paddle. It's just a small paddle. And this paddle, if used correctly, can move us exactly where we want to go. So there's different strokes that we could do. Like we could just paddle forward. We could paddle backward. I don't know why I brought the longest one. Anyways, when you're steering, right, you want to do specific strokes when you're steering. And so you might do a J stroke that pushes you sort of the opposite way that you've, or you might draw in, might pry away. A paddle, a simple tool, can move you exactly where you want to go in the water. Whether that be downriver or upriver, and certainly across a beautiful lake in the early light of the morning. Our tongues can control us just as a bit or a rudder. And when used well, our tongue directs us into healthy relationships, connects us with one another and to God. But individually speaking, our tongues can sow distrust. They can tear people down. They can lead us away from God. Really, our tongues can either help us to flourish or they can help us to sink. The tongue is described by James as a spark, then, that can ignite a forest fire. The image of a forest fire here is one of absolute destruction and chaos. And so we think of how destructive the tongue can be. He says it is a whole world of wickedness corrupting our entire body and can set the whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is a world of wickedness. The tongue is responsible for so much hurt in our world. Propaganda and lies that are absolute wickedness, and we can think of huge moments in history where whole societies have been moved towards evil because of terrible and terrifying words of men. And that's big, and that may be out there for some of us. Too far to be relatable. So I want to think of another area that can quickly become a forest fire. Online spaces. In our world, which is driven by social media and text communication, our written words are an extension of our tongues. Right? Our written words 
are in our current world an extension of our tongues. So does your online life represent and honor Christ? It's interesting to me because many people believe that they can say whatever they want in online spaces, that people can tear others down, that they can share lies and gossip with seemingly no impact on their lives and on others. But there are many stories from those who have been torn down in places like Twitter or Facebook or other places. And it's been a huge negative impact on their lives, not to mention society. I mean, you can find almost any page that's labeled as concerned. And it's a lot of, a lot of wicked words spoken against people. It's almost become a sport to watch or participate in telling lies. And it's absolutely shameful. And it's the root of a wicked tongue. Some of you, in fact, have been on the biting end of that wickedness, whether in person or online. And it's gone from being an abstract idea in your life to absolutely your world. And I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that that's happened to you, that this has been your experience. From bullying to outright abuse, when those around us choose to use their tongue as a weapon, that sting and that scar is forever. And this is not the way of Jesus. The hard reality is that the wickedness of the tongue betrays the inward self to the outside world. And we can only hold back for so long before your words begin to show your true character, the character that resides within you. After all, the tongue corrupts the whole self. In fact, it makes me think of Bilbo in Lord of the Rings, or maybe a better picture would be Gollum, right? They both lust after the ring. They want to be free of it. And we often do that with words. They get us in trouble, they destroy relationships, but there's power in those words. There's power in holding on to those words. That power is then the lust that destroys us. It destroyed Gollum. Remember, he uses the phrase, my precious. What in your vocabulary has become the thing that is precious to you? What words have become you, have corrupted your whole self. Now, we don't like to think of this, but for many of us, the way that we use words, whether good or bad, has become our identity. And this can get in the way of our connection with God. Do you love being the one with the hot gossip for your group of friends? Are you the sarcastic one that's not afraid of being cutting? Are you the one that loves to be right and you just have to make it known? Or maybe you're filled with pride because you're not those things, but you're encouraging. You lift others up. And that's weird because that seems right, correct? It's a good thing. But is it drawing you towards yourself instead of drawing you towards God? Maybe you're quick with words and snide comments when you're angry or stressed out. You're the one that's always lashing out at someone in the group. Maybe you're a yeller and people cower when they're around you. Each of these actions 
with our words, they change the room that, we're in, that we enter into. They change our relationships. Our words will either help us develop relationships or will harden and break them off. Words are wicked, or can be, and they can corrupt our whole body. Then James says, you cannot tame the tongue. Every animal can be tamed, but the tongue cannot. The way that he says this, it feels like you'd have more luck catching a grizzly bear or like a great white shark and taming that before you can tame your tongue. It is a restless evil. Yet even when we think we have things under control, it turns on us. The text talks about the tongue, right? It's how it uses it, the tongue. And so let's personalize it a little differently. Your voice. Your voice cannot be tamed. Think about that in this section. James warns us about praising God. The final metaphors ask us to question whether or not we can praise God. After all, one minute we praise God and the next we curse his creation. Can you have both fresh and salt water? Can a vine meant to grow a grape grow a fig? Can a voice speak a cruel word and also speak to the Savior? Worship the one who gives life. The simple answer, no. Fresh water and salt water combine to make brackish, unusable water, and a vine can only grow what it is meant to, and our tongues betray us. They reveal who we truly are. We are sinners, lost without a savior. It is only then through redemption that we experience freedom from the vice that can be our voice. But with redemption comes a new life. We can worship God with our voice because he sees us through Jesus, through redemption. We have a capacity to catch ourselves from saying something cruel or wrong, correcting ourselves and turning back to God. The tongue may be a rudder, but we now have a new captain, right? If you're in a canoe, the person up front, they're pulling you forward, right? They're moving you forward. And that's our job. Our job is to walk forward in these lives. And as we trust Jesus, it seems a little che cheesy, right? It's like Jesus take the wheel moment. But Jesus, we have a new, through Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now in us and it's directing us and it's changing us. So might we always struggle with our voices, with our tongue? Might that always be a problem? Yes. But now we are seeing through grace that abounds because of Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit moving in us that helps us say, time out. What did I just say? And then we learn to do something. We learn to apologize. We learn to go to others. We learn to make things right. Because grace abounds. Here's a few application points for today. Because it feels like James is pelting us over and over throughout this passage and being completely discouraging. But I think it's helpful, again, to go back to canoeing. So when you get in a canoe and go downriver or up, you never know what's waiting for you. 
And that's what James tells us in one and two. Trials and temptations, and then needing to work things out. We know that life's going to bring the unexpected. You then need to be ready for whatever is coming. You're gonna be buffeted by waves. You may be at a total standstill at times. With the wind blowing around you and the current below you, how will you react? Have you practiced? Have you trained? Do you understand that your tongue will be the first to betray you? In James 1.19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, or slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This really is a against the current type of life that James then calls us into. We're called to follow Jesus, not the prevailing thoughts and culture around us. And in following Jesus, we are called to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In a world where people love to run their mouth off, they love to be riled up, they love to be right, we get to be slow to speak, quick to listen slow to anger. So number one, take a deep breath. Practice silence. The best way for us to control our tongue sometimes is just be silent. Stop. Take a deep breath. Be silent. There will always be time to speak if that's what you feel is best. But if you can train yourself to react first with listening, then speaking when necessary, it seems that the results will be a much more controlled tongue. And in fact, this is a really good discipline for all of us in that silence is in itself a spiritual discipline. And when we try to be silent with God, we think, let's escape from the world, right? Let's escape from the noise and the busyness. Go somewhere where we can just be alone, right? But what is that prevailing noise? It's us. It's our voice. And so are we able in the presence of God to silence ourselves? And I would challenge you to be quiet with God, to see how this helps you grow not only in your daily walk with him, but also with one another. As we quiet ourselves to hear from God, we learn how to be quiet and to hear when our friends and loved ones are speaking. We aren't just ready to jump in with our thoughts, right? But we are slow because we are listening. Number two, pray. Ask God to renew your tongue. There was one time in my life that I was, um, I had conflict with a person and we didn't always see eye to eye. And I have to admit, I did not handle it well. I, 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 can, I can say that to you. I rarely handled it well. And it was often my tongue that got me in trouble. And if it wasn't my tongue, it was the rest of me you know, it was my body language and it was other things. It was my whole self. I really did not like this about myself. And I felt controlled by the words I wanted to say and by the actions that I wanted to take. And so I prayed about it. I prayed that this would change. And so one time this person and I, we were at an event together and it had been a long day and he wanted to go on a canoe ride. Okay. Fine, let's just paddle out into the lake, 
So I begrudgingly get in, I get in the front, and it's not like a moment later as he's trying to get in that he dumps me in the water. Just, and it was a good drop off, so I really went in. And I came out, and I could have been angry or saying terrible things, but I came out laughing, and he was laughing. And we just, like, it was belly laugh, side hurting, and together we had this moment that could have only happened this way, and I really feel like in the moment it was God answering prayer, right? It was not some big response. It was instead a moment where that laughter actually helped us move into a time of of talking about some of our conflict and making it better. God answers prayers in a very unique way. And so ask God to renew your tongue, to change your voice and to honor him. Three, encourage others, right? So put your words into action by building others up. I know that earlier I mentioned that, you know, being positive, you know, could be a source of pride for somebody. And if it is for you, great, get to work on that. But also, let's do this. Let's use our words to build up others for God. Before one another. It seems easy, but it's actually hard for some of us. What if I say something wrong? Or what if I say something weird? What, what, if, what if they don't take my encouragement seriously? What, what if I'm just bad at it? Well, you all are looking at someone who's been compared to Eeyore on more than one occasion. I am not great at this, but I want to be better. And so even when it's awkward, I, I try to say things that I hope are encouraging. I try to be better. I practice it. And I ask God to help me. I ask God to point out those moments that I can speak into other people's lives. James wants us to put our faith to work. So put that faith into action by being a caring and encouraging person. Build that muscle because it will give you opportunity to bring someone closer to seeing themselves how God sees them, which is as a beautiful and wonderful creation. You don't know what waves you're going to encounter. And you don't know what waves they've recently encountered. And so your encouragement may be the fog lifting off the water for them just a little bit. So how can we respond today? Well, while it's true that we will never be without sin and we can never tame our tongue, it would be a lie to say that our words are useless, that we can do no good with the words of our mouth. On the contrary, our words can build others up and they can praise the creator. Just as terrible words can set ablaze, true praise of another can change their life. Words can bring about restoration and healing words can develop a path to peace. And so as we end today, let's honor God with praise and let's bring about beauty as we enter again into the throne room to praise our glorious God. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, knowing that you are a God who redeems the sinner, 
knowing that you are a God who can save the worst of these. God, we know that at times our voices will hurt others. Would you open our eyes to those moments? Would you move us towards repentance? Would you move us towards apology and making things right? God, would you enable us here as New Hope Church to build a community that is for one another, where our words honor you and honor those in our midst. God, you are a good God and can bring this to fruition. And so we praise you in your name. Amen.